Hello, and welcome to Heartline Ministries, a one-hour televised program and audio podcast where we take the timeless truth of Scripture and apply it to hearts and lives in the 21st century. Join Pastor Harold Noyes of Community Christian Church in Athens, Vermont, and Pastor Timothy Golden of Life on Main in Charlestown, New Hampshire, as they bring the light and life of God's Word to current situations and experiences. Now here are your hosts, Pastor Harold Noyes and Timothy Golden. We have been discussing over the last few weeks, Tim, the seven churches found in the book of the Revelation, chapters 2 and 3. Uh, two weeks ago, we did the church of, of Ephesus, and we found that though they were a great church, there was one thing, at least one thing, that God had against them, and that was that they left their first love. Mm-hmm. They, they kind of lost their passion, lost their zeal. Uh, as I look at it, it's in, in, in regards to that. Then we went to the church of Smyrna, and God never really rebuked them. Mm-hmm. In fact, in the church of Smyrna, we find that where even the church at Ephesus, in verse 5, he says to repent. Yet the church of Smyrna, there's no indication at all that God uh, is telling them that they have anything really to repent of. Mm-hmm. Now we're going to the church of Pergamos. Um, certainly Pergamos in these first three churches is going to be the worst of the worst Mm. Uh, and maybe of all seven churches depending on how we look at it but the major emphasis that that God has with Pergamos as opposed to Ephesus or Smyrna is that Ephesus I have somewhat against you of Pergamos I have these things against you. So there's more than one. There's, mm-hmm. there's several things which they are doing which uh, is not pleasing to the Lord. That's right. And, and as I look at Pergamos, as a pastor, I think the last thing I want to be is known as a church of Pergamos. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because not just a matter of the fact of the thing, the sort of things, and the fact they had to point out more than one thing, but the way we tend to um, categorize things as far as being lesser great. Now, we know in God's eyes, sin is sin. But we as people, we tend to think of some things as being worse than others. And the things that he's pointing out are in no small things. Right. But then the thing that also got me is that when it came, because with every letter, he seems to start off by saying, this is who I am. This is what I see working in you that's good. Yep. But now let's talk about these other things. When he came to talking about the things that were good here, it almost looks like God had to grasp at some straws. Yeah. Because it's like basically he's just thinking, them, well, you know, at least you believe in me. <laughs> yep. And that's about it. You know, there, yep. there's nothing about any specific works that they were doing or anything like that. Just that they did not deny the faith. They they have stayed true at least to letting him come in and be savior of their hearts. And but now. Let's deal with everything else. You know, you, you, you got through the threshold. You went through the wedding. But now let's make this a marriage that's yeah. going to work. You know, one of the things, and, you know, we're going to read it in just a moment so everybody sees what we're, where we're going with this and have prayer over it. But one of the things that I find here is that God goes and he says to, to this church, look, um, I know your circumstances. Mm-hmm. But that is no excuse. Yeah. And today, how many of us in the church today, mm-hmm. how many of us 
are people full of excuses. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, a friend of mine, Sammy Poole, who's since gone to heaven, used to sing, excuses, excuses, he'll provide them every day, you mm -hmm. know, or the devil will provide them. Mm -hmm. And and that's exactly what I'm seeing in many many cases today in the yeah. church. And I'm I'm talking about mine. I'm talking about mm -hmm. yours. Talking about all of them. You know, the church today seems like we we have an excuse for everything. Mm -hmm. And not just in the church, but in the world at large. Right. In the it, world it, at large, it, it's sure. worse than it ever was. You know, when I even think back to growing up. I and mean, we've always been in the blame game yep. as humans. We have, but it seems like it's gotten exponentially worse over the years to the fact that nobody takes responsibility. Exactly. Everything I am is your fault. Right. You right. know, it's not just me not taking responsibility for me anymore. I'm saying that I'm okay, you're the one that messed me up. Yep. And that's a problem. we got to start taking ownership. Yeah, and we're going to hit on that uh, very, very shortly. But I'm going to open in prayer, ask the Lord to be with us as we uh, un unpack this uh, tremendously insightful uh, portion of Scripture as to where are we today? And if God were to write us a letter today, would he call us the Church of Pergamos? Mm. And if so, that's a scary title to take mm -hmm. on. So let's pray and ask God to be with us. Father, we thank you so very, very much for the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you that he is Savior, but we also thank you that he is Judge, because he is righteous and he is holy. Lord God, we ask now that as we look at this Church of Pergamos, that truly we would repent and say, no, I don't want to go there. Mm -hmm. So, Lord God, be with Tim and I as we uh, help unpack this through the power of the Holy Spirit. Be with each one listening, that they will receive it in the spirit in which it's given. So, Father, we thank you in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Tim, you want to read uh, 12 through 17? Sure. And to the angel of the church in per Pergamos write, these things says he who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. And you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. Thus, you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which things I hate. Repent, or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has near, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. And I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. Wow, what a tremendous, I don't know, what a content, uh, condemnation, so to speak. Yet at the end, we look at it and see the wonderful grace and mercy mm -hmm. of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, it just blows my mind to see how God is saying, look, this is what I have against you, and it's a horrible thing that I have mm -hmm. against you. You know the worship of Satan and 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 Balaam and and the doctrine of the Nicolaitans and so forth, and we're going to explain all of that. But then he goes and talks about the hidden manner, and he talks about the white stone, mm -hmm. and we'll explain what that is also. So um, tremendous, tremendous portion of the scripture. Yeah, and especially that grace level because of realizing that he's writing to 
the angel of that church, the minister of that church, or to the church itself ultimately, which tells me this is coming to you after you knew me, yep. after you've made that profession of faith. So you messed your life up, but I came, I paid the price, and you've accepted that. But you know what? You're still messing your life up. So here's the second chance and the third chance and the fourth chance. And, and as we keep making those steps of repentance, it's not just a one-time thing. Mm -hmm. It's an ongoing thing we need to do as he reveals things to us. And as we repent, there's blessing, there's reward, there's benefits that come from that. You know, I find it interesting, Tim, that in the church at Ephesus in verse 1 of chapter 2, he says, I am the one who walks in the midst of the seven golden, golden candlesticks. Mm -hmm. So I'm here, I'm walking amidst you. In Smyrna, he goes and he says, I am the first and the last. I was dead, but now I am alive. So he goes and identifies maybe a negative at one point, but then he goes in a very positive sense. Mm -hmm. But then he opens up this church, Pergamos, in my view at least, as almost a... a uh, great judgment because mm -hmm. he says to them I am he which hath the sharp sword with two edges mm -hmm. so no matter how I weld this sword I'm going to cut you to shreds That's, I mean I just look mm -hmm. at it, look at that you know I remember back you know when I was a boy and I'd watch my dad shave and he would have these these razor blades to be about that that wide and mm -hmm. on both sides you know, so that he could turn it around and do this and this. You know, and that's the way I look at that sword as being, you know, mm -hmm. where uh, no matter what side he uses, it's going gonna, it's gonna to cut you to shreds. Yeah, there, there's no, I mean, there's, I shouldn't say there's no encouragement, but like I said, the way he opens it up in the other two letters is almost this building you up. Yeah. You know, understanding who I am, understanding my power, my authority, but you know me. Like I yep. said, there's this walking in the midst of, there's the presence that you see, there's the, you know, I'm the first and the last. Again, I am, speaking of presence, but here the presence is not good. I mean, he doesn't like say, I am the first and the last, and by the way, I yep. carry a two-edged sword. It's like, look, this is the only thing I want you as a church to understand. I'm coming at you with a two-edged sword. My mind, when I read that, was drawn back uh, to Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13, because at first one could look at that and begin to say, well, that's, like you said, that's pretty harsh, pretty bold, pretty brash, yep. you know. But listen to this. Uh, in verse, starting at verse 12 of Hebrews 4 and going through 13, which I just <laughs> lost there. I just went to no internet. But um, he... To wrap it up in a nutshell, he says that the Word of God is as a two-edged sword, capable of dividing bone from marrow and, and judging the intents and thoughts of the heart, which is exactly what right. we're kind of thinking of in light yep. of that. But when you pair it together with the very next verse, what talks about 13, it lays this out for us regarding he who carries that sword, that he carries it and he uses it as one who's going to have to give an account himself mm -hmm. also. So there's this aspect that because of Christ's role in our lives, he's going to have to give an account to the Father yeah. of whether or not he judged us rightly and righteously in regards to certain things. In other words, and, and what I kind of get a picture of there is almost like the Father looking to the Son, Jesus Christ, and saying, now, you know how I feel about righteousness. Now, did you let them get away with yep. 
Or did you try to woo them back to me? Did you try to offer the discipline so that they would not go on that path of death, but that path of life? And, and why does he do that? For the same reason why we discipline our own kids, because the punishment is less than the fate that will come if we don't offer the punishment. And, and so there's this whole picture of accountability that we see between the father and the son that is coming into play here. So really, even with coming with the two-edged sword, as harsh as that sounds, is actually a picture of love of a parent that parent has towards a child when they want to raise them up in the way that they should go. Yeah. You know, I, I, I find that sometimes, you know, you would have to, when I worked in the operating room and so forth, that, you know, we would have to go in and we would have to reopen a wound mm-hmm. so that it would heal because you know, either either some infection or something gotten in there and you had you would have to reopen it to get that infection out of it and it's almost like that's what god has to do here he has mm-hmm. to reopen or open up this thing to get the pus out of it yeah. so that it can heal again mm-hmm. and and therefore he would use that two-edged sword and but what a what a tremendous picture and and i look at this because these people know you know, it's not as if they're, they're clueless. It's not as mm-hmm. if they, you know, they could say, well, we never knew, because they did. And yet they still had, they made, they, they're still making some bad choices. Mm-hmm. And isn't that the way it is? I mean, God has allowed us to make choices. Mm-hmm. And praise God he has, because he's given us all a free will. Mm-hmm. However, uh, we're going to have to answer for those choices in which we make, and that's exactly what's happening here. Mm-hmm. You know, um, they they have made some very poor choices, and now God is going to hold them accountable. Mm-hmm. And and you you have used the term a couple of times earlier, where responsibility, and certainly we're seeing today, whether it be in the church, whether it be in the world, mm-hmm. whether it be wherever, in families, whatever the case, uh, it just seems like. That's a, that seemed to be a bad word to use today, to take responsibility, mm-hmm. you know, to give an account mm-hmm. that, you know, why should I ever have to give an account to you, for example? Mm. Um, should I have to give an account to you? Do mm. I have to give an account to you? You know, um, and as pastors, I would, because mm-hmm. if you saw me doing something that I ought not to be doing, it's your responsibility to come to me and say, hey, brother, you know, uh, I see this happening, and mm-hmm. it scares me, and I'd like to talk to you about it. Yeah. You know, and, and so you have a responsibility, yet I have a responsibility, too, to you. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're seeing here. Yes. Jesus taking the responsibility as Lord and saying, look, I see this. I see how you're, you have turned from me, and you are worshiping or allowing those in the church to worship mm-hmm. Um, Satan or Balaam or even the Nicolaitans and, and all of those things, you, you have, you have uh, polluted mm-hmm. my church or yeah. my people. And you have, to give a, you have to give an account for that. That's it. And he, but like you had said earlier as well, though, that he also understands their predicament. Yep. You know, and he's not dismissing their predicament. He's just saying, don't use it as an excuse. Yep. I, I understand that you as a church, you've got something at play amongst you. And there's a lot of things, and, and that's the thing that gets me with these letters to the seven churches. There's some things that you see that are very common between all the letters, but there's some very distinct things in the way that he addresses them. And, and like there's some other churches that he addresses some of these same issues, you know, whether it's idol worship or things of that nature. 
But there's a statement that he makes here to this church that he doesn't make to any of the others. And in fact, he makes it twice, right at the very beginning, before he starts to point out their issue. And he makes reference to this concept of the place where Satan dwells, or the place of Satan's throne is where you are. Now, we know Satan is, was originally an angel, had lived in heaven, but as an angel, that makes him a created being, which means he is not God, which right. means he is right. not omnipresent and all this sort of stuff. We know that about the um, what took place there in heaven and, and the war of the angels took place, and it says that he was cast to the earth. Well, if he is not omnipresent and he is cast to the earth, where on earth would he, was he cast right. to? And what would almost appear from this passage is that there is good argument to say Pergamos yep. was that place where he was cast. And I'm not saying cancel your travel plans to go to Pergamos <laughs> if, if you were planning on going there um, or anything of that nature. But he's saying, look, I understand. In fact, I'm going to repeat myself here twice to let you know. I understand his throne is there. I understand that you are dealing with an aspect of his work stronger there than probably anywhere else. And, and we've actually seen some proof of this. And they, they worship a lot, you know, there in that area of Turkey where it was, you know, whether it was Zeus or some of the other Greek gods that were common. But there was one that was um, unique to them that they were, there was a temple. And I had to look it up because I can never remember it, but Asclepius or um, Asculapius is another pronunciation of it. But it was a God that was considered to be the healer, the savior, the preserver of them. Um, healing powers were believed to have come from a stream near there. There's a huge temple. Sexual acts were performed there as to this God. Interesting thing is the symbol of this right. God yep. was a snake. In fact, we see it present even today. Um, if And I'm not, please do not take this out of context, those that are watching. But that little medical symbol that we see of a pole with a snake on it, though for years I thought, well, maybe that's reference to Moses. It actually has its roots back here to this Greek mythology and, and this one god that they worshipped. But this was unique to Pergamos, and they would rely on this god. They turned to it for that, they said, that saving power, for healing power, which only Jesus can really bring. And so you've got the church that he's saying, look, I commend you for your faith because you're not following that. But you're following everything else that's even closely associated yep. with it. And, and that's where the problem is. That's what he begins to confront. But he's identifying, look, I know that there's a power that's at play where you're at that's very, very strong. And I'm not denying that to be the case. However, even though it doesn't use this phrase here, but he is basically saying throughout these seven letters, letters that famous passage, greater is he that's in you than he that's he in the world. Yep. So you cannot use Satan as, as the excuse. The devil made me do it doesn't carry right. clout with God. Yeah, You know, I, what I find so very, very interesting too, Tim, and, and the scripture that came to mind as you were sharing this is where Jesus goes and says, look, I wasn't always tempted like you. Mm -hmm. I know what you're going through. Yep. I was tempted on the mountain mm -hmm. in the wilderness after I'd fasted for 40 days. Who came and threw everything he had at me? Right. The devil did. Mm -hmm. And I was victorious. Mm -hmm. I'm telling you that you can be victorious too. Yeah. And how was he victorious? 
the word of God. The word of God. Every time the enemy tried to throw, and he tried to twist the word. Yep. But Jesus' comeback was always going back yep. to the word, that very two-edged sword that he's talking about yep. here. Yeah, and even though the enemy used some of that that sword, that word, mm-hmm. God, uh, Jesus would always have to come and correct and say, wait a minute, thou hast said, and then, but he would correct mm-hmm. where he left out. And, and I think that that's very important. So mm-hmm. one of the reasons that I think that God is, that Jesus in particular is so very gracious in their circumstances because he's been there. Mm-hmm. He knows what they're going through. Though this truly is, a, to me, a heartbreaking situation that he sees right. um, of what they're going through mm-hmm. and how difficult it is. However, as you've said, uh, that is no excuse. Mm-hmm. You know, and, I, and I find it with, with so many of us you know, in things which we go through on a daily basis or in our lives, you know, like, like with me, you know, if I go up to heaven and I say to him, well, God, you know, I kind of, I kind of stopped worshiping you because I had cancer and I wasn't feeling good and, you know, and all this, what, what's he going to say? Harold, mm-hmm. that's no excuse. Right. You know, that is not a good excuse mm-hmm. um, because you know that I'm the conqueror. You know right. that I'm the one who, you know, and, and, and so forth. So, any excuses that they make, mm-hmm. he's going to say no. Mm-hmm. Why? Because I am. Mm-hmm. Right. And th- turning to this other God for healing, hold up. They knew the scriptures. Yeah. I am the God that healeth thee. Yeah. You know, you don't need this God. I am, I am the God who's your refuge. I am the God who's your provider. I am the God who is and always will be, right? It's all these things. And so you do not have any need to turn to these other things. So why are you even practicing any of the stuff that's associated with them? You know, one of the neat things about it, and I'm sure that the Church of Pergamos was very well aware, whether it be in the New Testament where Jesus healed, even some of the apostles healed, Mm -hmm. or if you go to the Old Testament where you got Elijah and you got Elisha and you got all of these, Mm -hmm. you know, wait a minute. All through the ages, God has shown, I am the healer, mm-hmm. you know, and you can turn to me. Yep. They've seen it, probably have experienced it, yet they were so willing to turn from mm-hmm. that. So, so he goes to them and he says, look, I have the two-edged sword. That's verse 12, verse 13. Then I know. Once again, God is the omniscient God. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. means that he is all-knowing. There's nothing he does not know. Mm-hmm. He knows your thought. He knows what you're thinking right now. He knows the attitude that you have. He knows everything. So I know thy works. You know, I, I, I'm right there. I, I see them. I have recorded them. And, and that's one of the things that I think that sometimes we forget is that, you know, God has a great recorder because he, he keeps a book. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so he's looking at it and said, look, I'm writing to you, telling you this. Mm-hmm. You guys got to be careful. Yeah. You know, because that's who I am. I know your works. And, and, and I know these intimately. It's not just, you know, I thought about them and forgot it. No, no. Mm-hmm. This is something that's very near and dear to me. Yeah. And is his, your works. And his books and his recording will always remain. Yeah. There's no loss of internet that will cause you to lose the information. Yep. Right. Yep, right. And he knows he knows every bit of it. And um, and that's what what we have to come back to. And that, but the great joy that comes from that, that concept of knowing that look, I know where you are. I understand where you're at. I but and I understand that 
Satan's throne is there, but I'm still the first and the last. Yep. I'm still he who is, was, and is to come. And my mind goes back as you were talking um, to Peter and the other disciples when they were in the boat with Jesus, and Jesus was asleep. Yep. And they're in the boat. They're, they're in a place where they're okay, but the storm is really raging about them to the point that they think they are literally going to die. And these are experienced fishermen. These were not people that were out of touch with the reality. They had seen many storms. They knew what ones would take lives and which ones wouldn't. This was one of the ones that would take a life or many. And, but in the midst of that storm, Jesus comes, stands at the, at the uh, front of the boat, says, peace be still, and immediately the wave ceased. And their comment was, who is he that even the winds and the waves obey yeah, him? Yeah. And, and this is the concept that he's trying to bring this church back to, is this fact that, look, I understand Satan's throne is there, but do you understand who's in the boat with you? Do you understand that no matter what he tries to throw and how many winds, waves, and thunder crashes and lightning bolts he wants to, to, to have take place to get your focus in the wrong place, understand I'm in the boat with you, and as long as I'm in the boat with you, no harm can befall you. You know, in that account that you just gave, uh, my, my future too is this, is how long, and we don't know how long, but just the fact that for some time, they were fighting it on their own. Mm -hmm. You know, they were trying to row and get out of the, mm -hmm. you know, and, and they were going in circles and they were bailing the, the water out and they were doing all, everything on their own. And what was Jesus doing? He was laying there sleeping. And finally, when push comes to shove and we're going to drown, Master, wake up. That's when he says, peace be still. Mm -hmm. And how many times do we do it on our own? And I've seen Pergamos as being that. Mm -hmm. They're trying to fight the devil on their own. Yeah. And guess what? They're losing the battle. Mm -hmm. How many of us today try to fight the devil on our own, and we're going to lose the battle? Yeah. I don't care what the, what the battle is. You know, if, if it's alcoholism or, or anything, sexual things, whatever the case may be, if you're trying to do it on your own, I don't want to give you bad news, but you're probably going to slip up badly. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like an old phrase I used to hear uh, growing up that was, well, I shouldn't say growing up, I was already an adult in the years I heard, but... Some pastor would often use the phrase, big God, little devil. Yeah. But I've kind of added to that, and it's like, yeah, but the truth is, big devil, little me. Yeah. You know, the size of the enemy to God is the same as my size to him, to the, yep. to the devil. And there's no way I'm going to fight it. It's only going to be him. And, and my favorite picture that God ever gave me of himself was not even a real-life situation. It came from a Pixar animated flick called The Bug's Life. And at the end of that, there's this one grasshopper. And he's white, he's like foaming at the mouth, and he's just like crazy as all get out. And he's raising a huge stink. And there's this little child ant who is standing there. And as all the other ants are kind of doing battle, and he goes to take on this big, ugly grasshopper. And he lets out a roar, and the grasshopper goes scampering off. It's like, well, that's weird. But then they flash to the ant. And it wasn't the little baby ant that made any difference whatsoever. It was the big June bug that was behind him that was roaring when he roared mm. that actually scared 
the crazy one out of his socks and caused him to go off running. And I thought, wow, what a great picture, even though they weren't trying to paint a spiritual picture. But that's a picture of us coming against the enemy. Yep. We're that little ant. He's that mad grasshopper. But we've got the King of Kings and Lord of Lords at our back, who if we'll simply take a stand, as you said, he'll do the battle. You know, one of the things in, in you know, that I find so interesting as we go through this, um, this whole section and the grace and mercy God shows towards the end is in verse 13, uh, I know where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. Mm -hmm. I had just had the thought, Tim, of this. Um, who put them there? Mm. Who was the one who mm -hmm. placed them in Pergamos? God did. Mm -hmm. So he knew what they were going to have to go through. He knew all this. He knew, you know, it's almost like, like someone said to me the other day, he says, why is it God permits evil? Isn't he big enough to conquer evil? Or isn't he, wasn't he big enough not to let evil come into the world? And I came to the conclusion, God permitted evil because he knew that he could take that evil and make something good out of it. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's what he does. Mm -hmm. And we're going to find that he can do the very same thing with this church of Pergamos. You're dwelling here. I put you here. So I know what you're going through. Mm -hmm. And I know that it's, it's a terrible, terrible place. It's different than Smyrna because Smyrna, it says that, but they are of, they are of the synagogue of Satan. So they had moved from Pergamos maybe to Smyrna, mm -hmm. yet they're still kind of worshiping there. But... Pergamos is the epicenter mm -hmm. of where the devil is. So, so he goes and he says, look, he says, I know where you dwell. And I know that this is Satan's seat. And this is where I have put you. Um, you know, and you look at it and some people will say, well, wasn't that mean of God to put them there? Well, you know something? God isn't, you know, God has a lot of things that he allows in yours and my life that a lot of people would say, well, wasn't that mean? No, it's just the, the nature of, of what's going to happen. I mean, we all dwell mm -hmm. someplace where the devil's going to come and try to get us. Right. You know, and, he's going, to, and mm -hmm. he's going to try to influence us in some ways. And again, you can't read Scripture, even this book of Revelation, this letter of Revelation, without understanding Genesis. Yep. And it's understanding that this isn't about God wanting to do evil to us. He had to allow evil in the world be, for one reason— because he had to give us a choice. To not give us a choice is just to create a bunch of robots, and he didn't want that. Love requires a decision. Love requires a choice to be made. You cannot have that choice without having at least two options. And so that's why he created a garden full of all good things, except one tree, yep. one stinking tree out right. of the whole garden. But don't eat of this one. But I've got to put it here because I want you to choose me. And we didn't. So all this other stuff hmm. really doesn't stem from God. It stems from our decision not to choose him and him alone from the very beginning. And now all this stuff is kind of spiraling as a result. Otherwise, we would still be in the garden with him. Yep. You know, what I really find interesting, and I love this, this whole discussion here, is where he goes and, and, you know, he says to us, he says, look, he says, I have placed you there, and I have, 
minister to you there. However, you know, I'm with you. That's it. And 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 I'm here with you. And and he he's going to be. Watch watch what happens. You're in the midst of where Satan's seat is, verse thirteen, and then he commends him. It's a little bit of a commendation. I see, and thou holdest fast my name. Mm-hmm. You know, even though here you are, you're going through this horrendous temptation. You're going through this horrendous drift. This, mm-hmm. However. When push comes to shove, you're still holding fast to my name. Mm-hmm. I look at this and say, wait a minute, what is spiritual warfare? Mm. Right here, yeah. to me, is the epicenter of the mm-hmm. spiritual warfare. Yeah. I'm placing you right in the center, right, right where Satan dwells, mm-hmm. and you have to make a choice. Mm-hmm. It's either go whole hog for Satan, or you're going to hold on to me. One or the other. And we're seeing that more and more in our own society, in our own culture. Yeah. We're seeing the reality of this and the need for the church to make a decision. And unfortunately, there's a lot of churches out there that are not holding fast. Yeah. Because as the world has compromised, the church has followed suit on too many occasions. And we're getting away from the word. We're getting away from this concept of righteousness. We're getting, uh, you know, we're, we're buying into this lie of, you know, what you call it tolerance or whatever, right? Um, and forsaking the things that God says, this is right, this is wrong. The, these are the things that please me. These are the things that are an abomination to me. And the church is caving into. There are many, you know, that are still holding fast. Right. And not sound like we're sound like bragging, but I think you and I are doing yeah. pretty, pretty good job. And I pray every day that neither of us um, or other churches I know that we've been in relationship with, with even within our town, um, that are also holding fast. Yeah. And uh, do, even during our Wednesday Cottage prayer meetings, we're praying for those churches that haven't, right. that God would do something to have them learn to grip onto Him again, um, because we need the church to do so. And as we do, it does bring pleasure to God. Now, this gives us responsibility in verse 13, because it does say, and thou holdest fast my name. Mm-hmm. So it isn't like God is taking our hand and forcing us to grab it, mm-hmm. and then he puts his hand on ours and, and says, there, you, know, you can't let go. No, you're holding it fast because mm-hmm. you want to hold fast to it. Yep. And that is the key, choice. Mm-hmm. That is what the whole spiritual warfare is about. That's right. It's human choice. Mm-hmm. And he's doing this. So thou holdest fast my name and hast not denied my faith. So even in the midst of all of this, there's still that, that twinge of, wait a minute, I know what Jesus did for me. Mm-hmm. Now, I may not be acting it at this point. I may not even be responding to it at this point, but I still know it. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, I, and I'm holding on to that faith. Um, it may be a string that's fraying fastly, mm-hmm. but I'm holding on to it because he goes and says, and thou hast not, not denied my faith, even in those days wherein Anipus was my faithful martyr. Even when you saw him martyred, mm-hmm. you know, and you saw that he was put to death because of his faith. That's what I'm, mm-hmm. I'm gleaning here, that yeah. because of his faith and because he held fast to his faith, and how fast to my name. Mm-hmm. You saw that and you didn't run and hide. Yeah. You know, which 
it would be, in my view, a, a commendation to them mm -hmm. if you see it as that. Because it says, uh, even in those days where Anipus was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you, where Satan dwelleth. So he says, look, the devil killed him. You know, he, he put him to death. Mm -hmm. Of course, we all have to come to the conclusion, and come to if we know Scripture at all, that the only way he could do that is with God's permission. Mm -hmm. You know, like with Job. Mm -hmm. I mean, he had to go up and ask God's permission to do all the things to Job that he did. Mm -hmm. And God had to say, yes, you can go this far and only this far. Well, with Anipus, he did say, you can take him. Why? Because it's going to help build my church. Mm -hmm. And because, again, looking at things through God's eyes, which are eternal eyes. Yep. You know, we're all going to die one day or another. And really, living out 100 years or 200 years is like... See, a life is like a blink of an eye. Yep. Okay, so if you live twice as long as the average person, that's two blinks of an eye. It's really not that big a difference. Yep. You know? So we're going to die anyway. But if our death or our suffering can cause somebody else to give their heart to Christ to the point that now they don't die the eternal death, yep. but now they get to live with God forever, it's really not... You know, really that big a deal if you begin to get that kind of a mindset that it, he took one blink away yep. from me. You know, but because of that now, somebody else lives forever. I think that's a pretty good trade. I think that's a great trade. You know, uh, we can even go right into Second Corinthians chapter 1 where Paul the Apostle goes and says, why is it we go through it? Mm -hmm. We go through it so that we can be a comfort to others. Yeah. Why? Because we can say, as Jesus says to us, I've been there. Yep. I've gone through that. So we can do that. Mm -hmm. Now, I find it very interesting, Tim, that in verse 13, he's, he's really of the commendation mode because it isn't until verse 14 where he goes and says, however. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I know you're, you're in where, where Satan dwells. I know that you've seen martyrdom. I know you have gone through this and you have held fast my name and you have not denied my faith, but... There are some things you've done that um, have caused me great mm -hmm. consternation. Look at verse 14. I have a few things against thee, because thou hast thee them that hold the doctrine of Balaam. Now, thou hast there them which hold the doctrine of Balaam. So he's saying, look, he says, you have, you have gone and you have become so inclusive. Mm-hmm that now you're letting any doctrine, now you're letting any, any form of any kind of religion, mm -hmm. even if it's the religion of Balaam and so forth, you have allowed all of that to filter in now into, your, into the church. That's right. And even though they, in verse 13, don't seem to have adopted all of it, he's, he's coming to them in verse 14 and saying, mm -hmm. but you're allowing it in the yeah. church. They're permitting it, yeah. You know, and that ought not to be, mm -hmm. you know. Right, because what that calls, and that's why many Bibles have, regarding this church, they call it, first of it as the compromising church, because that's exactly what it is. Well, we want to be just inclusive. So, yeah. you know, what really, what harm does it really matter? As long as we're, they're trying to live right. They're trying to do what they think is godly. So... They're really not hurting anybody, so let's just let it in. And that's a, he says, you leave that crack in the door, there's big problems. And this whole doctrine of Balaam, really what, what that's talking about 
is really just self-gratification, yeah. you know, or self-advancement. Now, we know with Balaam from the story in the Old Testament that he was a man of God, but what happened was Balak wanted him to, uh, you know, curse the Israelites, but he wouldn't do it because they were God's people. So then he tried to tempt him with money. He tried to give him some sort of gain, some sort of, here, let me make life easier for you. Yeah. You know, it really doesn't have to be as difficult. So, and all I'm asking you to do is this one little thing. That's this doctrine of balance. It wasn't some huge, like, going out and killing somebody yeah. that we would think of as huge. It was just simply saying, yeah, and then Balaam's reaction was what? Well, let me go ask God again. Yeah. You know, maybe he'll change his mind, you know. And when really what was at the crux of it was, I really don't want to not take this money because yeah. this would make my life a lot easier. So he was willing to make some compromises along the way. And now that he did that, what, four times? Three or four it, times? Think, yeah, it was either three or four. I can yeah, never yeah, remember which. Yeah, so it wasn't just a one-shot deal. I mean, no. this is something that was constant with him over mm -hmm. a period of time. And that's oftentimes the way the enemy will approach us. He'll come ask a little bit, but when we don't give in, he'll then he'll, he'll dangle a little bit bigger yep. stake in front of our nose to try to get us to give until he can get us to that point. And why did he do it? I, I, love, I love verse 13 because he wanted to cause a cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel. Mm. Just like today, if we compromise, if we allow things in the church that ought not to be there, mm -hmm. then we are causing a stumbling block to the church. And what does God's word say to us about causing an offense to the brethren? We are not to do anything to cause any of the brethren to stumble. Mm -hmm. yep. Nothing. Mm -hmm. That means even taking some of my liberties. Mm -hmm. If I know that, and, and this is just a hypothetical. Please don't take it out of context. Hypothetical. If I thought that God had said to me, I can drink wine. And he says to Tim... I don't want you drinking wine. Mm -hmm. You come to my house. Do I serve you wine? Better not. No. Why? Even though I have the liberty to do it, I'm going to give up that liberty because I don't want to cause my brother to stumble. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and, and that's the way that it is. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, so he does, he does this. I mean, Balaam did it to Black because he, he wanted to cause Israel to stumble. This whole thing. What, what, is, what is Satan's main goal? Mm -hmm. If I can't get them, I'm going to cause them to stumble. Yeah. If I can just cripple them or take away their fruitfulness. Yeah. You know, if, I, I, you know he feels like he's going to get a victory if he makes us as Christians mm -hmm. stumble. And all of us stumble. Mm -hmm. Okay? So, so he has that. So a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things, sacrifice on idols, and to commit for an occasion. That's sexual sins. So hast thou also them that hold to the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Which thing I hate. Now, this is like the third time he's mentioned the Nicolaitans, mm -hmm. mentioned in Ephesus and so forth. Their main doctrine was this. Let's have class warfare. Mm -hmm. Now, are we seeing that today in our culture? Mm -hmm. You know, and, and the class warfare was this. You have the priest up here and you have the laity down here. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and there are, you know, the religious people up here, the laity down here, and mm -hmm. you got this big gap in between them. That was the ministry or the, or the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Mm -hmm. And along with that was not only the fact that there was this clergy versus laity, 
but it's how they viewed themselves as the clergy versus the laity. Yeah. I am above you. Right. You, O oh laity, are here to serve me. Me. Yeah. Versus, and that's why Jesus came and why his ministry was so upsetting to the early church, to the um, Pharisees, the church, but to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, right. was because he was challenging that Nicolaitan mindset that had really infiltrated. And that's why he said, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you got to become the, least. the servant yep. of all. So get yourself out of this mindset and come underneath and minister and see about raising people to who God wants them to be rather than them somehow fueling you. You know, I almost think of uh, uh, the mother of James and John. Remember, they went, she went to Jesus and she asked a favor of Jesus. Yes. Jesus, when you come into his kingdom, will you have James on one side, have John on the other? Yep. Boy, I'm not sh I really don't think she knew what she was asking. Mm -hmm. You know, but it's almost like, okay, here's my son James, and, and he's above, and my son John, he's above, and now you get the other ten, they're down here someplace. No, 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 no. That isn't the way it is. Right. Right, and 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 I praise God, you know, and I and I really pray, pray, pray that that you and I stay mm -hmm. that way. Where, wait a minute, you know something? I'm a sinner like mm -hmm. everybody else. That's it. And and I'm just a servant. Mm -hmm. You know, Jesus Christ came to serve. Okay, right. and not to be served. Mm -hmm. He came to serve. And this all talks about his faithfulness, because again, to have that Nicolaitan mindset of I'm here, you're here. Sure. What's at the root of that? Pride. What got Satan kicked out of heaven? Pride. Okay, so, and, and the, God even talks about it, and there's, I, I forget where the um, passage is found, you can probably help me with it, but it says this, it says God opposes the proud. Yeah, or resist the proud. Yep, actually means to attack, it means yep. to wage warfare against, yep. I wage warfare against the proud, but I give grace to the humble. Humble, yeah. You know, and so. Yeah, yeah. and you know, and, and once again, I mean, what given time could Jesus not have spoken a word and totally wiped them out. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, but, but he, he didn't. Right. Why? Because he, you know, he wanted to be a humble servant and, and, and he had to do it to satisfy the needs of the Father. Mm -hmm. You know, the qualifications that the Father has set up so that you and I could have our sins washed away. Mm -hmm. That's why he did it. You know, we got just a couple of minutes left, and I want to get down through this. So you have the doctrine of Nicolaitans, which I hate, and that is a common thread. Mm -hmm. You have it here. You also have it in the book of Jude. You also have it in Second Peter. So, right. you know, it seems to me that if God says it once, that ought, to, that ought to give us a good hint where he stands. But if he says it three times, you know where he stands, mm -hmm. right? I hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. So then, once again, as you have said earlier at the, at the outset, but God is the God of the second chance mm -hmm. and the third chance and the fourth chance. And I don't know how many chances I've taken. But he says, look in verse, 15, uh, verse 16, repent, mm -hmm. repent. What's it mean? Turn around. Yeah. And it's not just turn around your behavior. It's turn around your heart. Your heart. Your heart because if you turn your heart, your actions will follow. Yeah. And, you know, you know one of the things, and, and this is something I read this week, Tim, and, and really... We can discuss it just for a moment. You know, so many of us, and in, in, in Scripture's true, believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, mm -hmm. you'll be saved. However, it also tells us that we need to call upon him. Mm -hmm. You know, and wait a minute. I can, if, if I believe without calling, or do I just say, Lord, I need you, mm -hmm. and I believe you? Mm -hmm. You know, I really think 
you know, we got we got to look at that mm-hmm. and say, wow, wait a minute, God has given us a responsibility. Yeah, you know, and and to call upon it. Well, it's the same thing here. God has given us a responsibility to repent. That means do a, a turnaround. That's a one eighty, not a three sixty. Right. Do a turnaround and stay there. Mm-hmm. Don't just do a turnaround and look at people that are, that are watching, and then when they're not watching, mm-hmm. go back. Yeah. No, no. Well, it's even more than just a turnaround. It, it, it's this concept that you're actually moving in one direction, and now you do a U-turn. So it, it's not even this concept that you somehow or another standing still and you do the 180. It's as you move. Now you need to just turn and keep moving, but now you're going to be moving in the opposite direction. So you can look at your life down the road and you should always be a little closer to Jesus than you were the day before. You know, and once again, to me, one of the scary things, and scary in a good sense, is the end of verse 16, I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. And therefore, you know, wait a minute, you're going to stand before me someday. Mm -hmm. Everybody is going to stand before Jesus Christ one day. And Mm -hmm. he's going to have the sword of his mouth. And you know what he's going to say? Yay or nay. Mm-hmm. You know, and that is a scary thing. Yeah. Yay or nay. And, and, and he's looking at these people, and there's going to be those who have gone by the way of Balaam, gone by the way of Nicodemus, and all of this. They're going to be the nay. You who have held fast, you'll be the yay. Mm-hmm. You know, that. And then verse 17, he that hath an ear. So what can the church take from this? Our discussion today. Listen up and apply it. Yeah, you know, it's got to be both. You know, this is this is not just some mythology. This is not just some uh, cute sayings. This is not just something to scare you to death. Mm -hmm. This is something that is real. If you have an ear, let him hear what the Spirit, largesse, Holy Spirit of God, saith unto the churches. So he says unto the churches. Oh, by the way, I'm talking to. Ephesus, I'm talking to Smyrna, I'm talking to Pergamos, I'm talking to Philadelphia, Thyatira, and all the other. I'm talking to all of them. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, you know, all of this is to be applied to all of you. I'm talking to the churches. Him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manner, and I will give him a white stone. What is the picture there that you find? Tim? Well, the picture that I see there, number one, is this. It's going to be a battle. Don't think this is just something that's going to happen easy. He's identifying not just where they are at the beginning. He's saying... And I know it's not really going to get any easier, but you have the power to overcome. It's not like, well, you might be, a, you might make it, you might not. Yeah. We'll find out. Yeah. That's not what he's got. He's implying with this, you have the power to overcome. So if you apply that power to everyone that does, I will give some of the hidden manna. Now that manna, of course, goes back to the, the travels in the Exodus uh, through, through the wilderness, where the manna was really that which was their daily provision. So it was the provision of God, and it was the strength of God yep. to continue on. So it's, it's got this aspect of if you choose to overcome, I will give you everything you need to persevere. You know, and the white stone, you know, I, and, and I've, I've read different thoughts as to what the white stone is, but I'm looking at the white stone and saying, is that the stone that maybe Moses was there with? You know, mm-hmm. and you get the fire come out, mm-hmm. or or is it the stone that they tapped that Moses tapped on and water came out? Mm-hmm. Is that what he's talking about? Yeah. Well, I know that another application of this was it was actually something that was used in their judicial system, and the concept of a white stone was it's a represented casting a, casting a vote. Yep. And it was to especially if they were being um, redeemed 
yep. of, of a charge that had came against them, this white stone would be, be cast used for to, to be cast yep. for black, them. And so black is that. against, white is for. Yeah. And then he goes and says, in a new name written, which no man knoweth, saveth that receiveth it. Mm-hmm. And I've got a new name in heaven. You got a new name in glory because yeah. of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. Don't buy the lie that you are what you once were. Yep. No. I'm Pastor Harold Norris, pastor of the Community Christian Church. We have morning worship at 9.30 every Sunday morning. We have evening worship at 6 p.m. We have Tuesday night Bible study, Wednesday night prayer meeting. And if you're in our area, we'd love to have you stop in and say hi and just kind of greet us. Or feel free to stop down at Life on Main in Charlestown, New Hampshire. If you're in that area, we meet at the old... at the. <laughs> I don't know, I keep calling it old, because I, I use one of those. Um, but we meet at the Charlestown Senior Center at 223 Old Springfield Road. And um, we meet there at 10 o'clock Sunday mornings for, we have coffee and fellowship, and then service at 11 with worship and time in the Word. I also have college prayer meeting Wednesday nights at 276 Main Street, the place of the Abundant Life Center, right there in Charlestown, 6.30 till about 7.30. Just time of corporate prayer together to pray for our community and for our churches. We thank you guys for tuning into the broadcast. Of course, you can find us all over the internet, whether it be on Facebook, on YouTube. Uh, We are also on Truth Social and also on Rumble. And so you can find our videos and just our uh, social media sites at all those places. We are also on most podcast providers. So if you're on the road and just want to tune in when you're in the car, you can do that as well. So thank you so much, and we hope to see you next week.